Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Holy Father, we come before you. We thank you for the privilege and the honor we have to come and gather as the people of God around the word of God. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would provide the illumination to your text, to your word. For without it, Lord, we can't know anything. So give us wisdom and insight. Make the word plain to our hearts and to our eyes. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with uh, Pastor Jim as he's sabbatically, Lord, this short season. You would be with him and his family. Give him rest. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at your text this morning, that you'll provide rest for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. I feel some of you want to move right now, I know. Because I'm happy, I won't move because I can't dance. You can ask my wife that. (laughs) Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Written by Grammy Award winner and producer, songwriter Pharrell Williams. Made popular by Disney's uh, Despicable Me Too. But doesn't this describe how most people view happiness? It's a feeling. It's what you want to actually believe to be true. It's defined by the individual. And it's all about what I want to do. Question for us to ponder this morning is this. What is the way to real happiness? More than anybody else, Aristotle enshrined happiness in, as the central purpose of human life, and it is the goal in itself. It's actually what Pharrell Williams is trying to capture in his song. And one of Aristotle's most influential works was the Nicomachean Ethics, which is still taught today. And he said this, happiness depends on ourselves. And the key question that Aristotle was seeking to answer 
in his lectures was this. What is the ultimate purpose of human existence? What is the end or the goal to which we should direct all our activities? What is the way to true and real happiness? Psalm 1 seems to be specifically composed and written as an introduction to the entire Psalter. And Psalm 1 presents us with two ways to live one's life. And these two ways will be fleshed out and contrasted throughout the entire Psalter. What are these two ways? The first one is the way of the word. The second one is the way of the world. The way of the word. He starts off with this word, blessed, or blessed, however you pronounce that right. And it's the idea of happy. What the psalmist is about to tell us, this is the path that is actually going to lead you to be really happy. Every person, every human, everybody sitting here this morning or watching online is usually starting their day thinking about the things that make them happy. Like, I can't start my day off with coffee. Who's going to get the kids right now? I want to sleep in a little bit. What's my day at work going to look like? What's my travel time going to be? We, we are consumed with taking care of us. What will make me happy? And the psalmist is going to unpack this for us. And he begins by saying this, happy is the person who doesn't walk, stand, or sit. And he has, he has in his mind here conformity to the world at three different levels. Who doesn't walk, stand, or sit in the council, the way, or the seat. Well, what does that actually mean? Council means thinking. Accepting the advice and wisdom of the world. Way means behaving. How we are party to its ways. And then seat means belonging. Adopting its most fatal attitudes. So first of all, thinking. It's that which shapes and influences the way that you and I think. And the psalmist is asking this. Where have you and I accepted the counsel and the advice, and the wisdom from this world. Where have we taken its counsel? And it's not that the world doesn't have anything to offer in that sense, but how to find life that is truly life. How does one find true happiness? One example for us to consider this morning. Relativism. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exists in relation to culture and society or historical context, and you might not find absolute truths. So relativism say is, listen, um, it's a doctrine that our knowledge, our truth, our morality must exist in relation to our culture, society, historical context, and at the end, we're not sure if there's any absolutes there. I would make the argument this morning that this relativism has shaped the culture of the American church and has influenced us as Christians how we think about our lives and our world more 
then the church has shaped the culture where God has placed us. Oh, we don't like to be labeled these words, bigoted, unloving, closed-minded, or hateful. We're told that to think a certain way about certain things in our culture is not reflecting the Jesus of the Bible. Sometimes living, speaking, and serving as the very presence of Jesus in our neighborhoods and our communities is not always received well by, of all people, the church. I had a conversation with, I, I love to uh, work out. Uh, I went through a process about four years ago of dropping some significant weight, lost about 65 pounds. I love going to the gym now. You can never get me into one, but you can't stop me from going. So me being the good husband, trying to help my wife, she wants to get into exercise a little bit, did the worst thing that any husband could do. I didn't buy her a membership. I bought her a car to go work out with a trainer, and I thought she'd love it. So it's now coming to the end where the card's going to expire, and my wife can't stand wasting money in our budget. So she goes, you go. Oh, great. So I'm going to meet this trainer. So we get in a conversation, and what typically happens whenever I meet somebody, or you do too, when you meet somebody for the first time, what are some of the conversations you have? Oh, you from around here? Where do you live? What do you do for work? Especially guys do that. What do you do for work? So um, she asked me, what do you do for work? Uh, I'm a pastor. And usually it takes one or two conversations. Usually it goes in, they get really spiritual with me. It's like, I, I came to work out. Let's just work out, right? Good work out there. Or it's like it gets silent. Or it's like, you know, hey, like I go to church too. So she said, oh, really? She goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Great. Well, like, tell me about, like, like what's your journey and everything? Like, like where do you go to church? Because, you know, you're, it's in my neighborhood where I work out at. Oh, I don't go to church. Oh, okay, that's interesting, right? You're a Christian, but you don't go to church, okay? Well, tell me about that, right? Like, what, what is that there? Now, she began to kind of, like, talk about her life in there. She said this here. I'm a person who's really into Jesus. I love Jesus. I just hate religion. What do you mean by that, right? What, what do you mean by that there, right? And then she kind of explained it there. In other words, she said this here. I really love Jesus, but I, want, I don't want to tell anybody how they should live their life. And... I don't want to be told how to live mine. That's the idea that he's saying here in this text, right? Of how we as the church adopt the thinking of our world. How does our world think? Secondly, behaving. Paul appeals to the Christian believers in Rome, right? Don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let Rome and its culture shape or define where you live. In other words, bring the gospel in with you. Similarly to Jeremiah 29, when God led his people off to be exiles, right? He said, no, no, no. Move into your city with your spiritual identity intact and reflect the character of God's wonderful kingdom, right? Sell, buy, marry, build businesses, build homes, be in your city, love your city well, right? But behaving here is saying, listen, go be in Rome, but don't let Rome be the thing that shapes you and how you're to live. This was Solomon's struggle when we come across the book of Ecclesiastes. He looks at this phrase, people under the sun. It's all throughout 
the book of Ecclesiastes. He's looking at everybody and what they're actually, what are they striving for? Where are they going? What are they worried about? People on the earth. And so he decided that, you know what? I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to basically find out what people are chasing under the sun. Solomon was different than you or me because he actually had the means to do it. He was the most wealthiest man of his time. And when he comes to the end of this chasing, what the world is chasing, he says this, in the end, it only left me empty. I think one of the saddest things that I see in the world is people who chase and work so hard in really good ways. Very good ways to have happiness, and they're, they're still chasing it. They don't seem to be able to capture it. It doesn't last very long. The world's happiness is like the greatest piece of gum that tastes great for the moment, and then it's like, I'm having to go to another piece, right? Now, I want, I want more of that because that taste doesn't last. It fades. It's different. So he says, listen, don't behave like the world. And then the last thing is belonging. The idea of his identity, meaning, value, and worth. J.K. Chesterton, the famous English writer, philosopher, and Christian apologist said this. When people choose, <clears throat> excuse me, not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in what? Anything. This is the culture, by the way, that you and I are currently living in. It's not that the world doesn't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. They find meaning, worth, value. They can attach it literally to anything that the world is offering or what they think this will make me happy. Even if it seems humanly absurd. And when you and I take identity and meaning and value and worth and we tie it to anything, this becomes one's functional deity. They worship what they have attached their hope to. Question for us as the church this morning is this. What have you and I attached hope to? What have you attached hope to? In other words, and how you know that is, this is the thing that makes you happy, or this is the thing that gives me meaning, or this is the thing that to not have it makes me fearful, drives me crazy. If you don't know what you've attached hope to this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you something this morning, and you and I, to consider that will help us reveal maybe what we possibly have attached our hope to. What is at the other end of your if only? Fill in the blank. If only blank, then life would be great. Life would be happy. I would have meaning and purpose if only that. Whatever is at the other end of your if only or my if only, that is our functioning deity. That is the thing that we worship. That is what our hearts are chasing. So happy is the one who doesn't walk, stand, or sit. 
Secondly, happy is the person who does delight and meditate. So the psalmist is content to continue to develop this theme that whatever captures a person's heart, treasure, will ultimately capture their life. Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, happy is the person who, delight, who delights and meditates. What does delight mean? Well, sometimes when I read the scripture, and particularly the Psalms, I don't know if you feel this way. Sometimes, uh, I love the Psalms that they are brutally honest, and they are wonderfully hopeful. There's always this brutal honesty in the Psalm of somebody who's writing, voicing to God, their pain, their suffering. Where are you, O God? Why have you forsaken me? Well, why have you left me in the lurch? Why aren't you here? Why are my enemies succeeding? But it always turns to this blessed hope who is God. But sometimes when I read the psalmist talk about how much he delights in the word of God, I usually wrestle in these two arenas. First, it sounds like the cheesy teen love letter. Nothing against teens in here this morning, so. But it's like, have you ever read a cheesy teen love letter? And I want to say is, wait till you get married. Right? Oh, I always love just holding your hand and whatever. It's like, and then you get married and he's watching the Eagles game and you want to hold his hand. It's like, oh, wait, halftime, please. Right? It's like, no, have you even like, that's cheesy. It's like, that's not real. That's great, but that's not real love. Real love is tough. It's beautiful, but it's tough. Or it seems like sometimes I read the Psalms and I feel like this here. Am I really even a follower of Jesus? I mean, I, I don't delight in the, I want to. Sometimes I feel like I do, but I don't delight in the word, word sometimes as much as I would when the psalmist says, your word is better than life. Your word is finer than gold. I want to say that, right? Part of me does believe that, but that's where I kind of like land, right? Delight infers pleasure, enjoyment, and happiness. Delight is a response of the heart to the beauty and value of something, right? In this case, to God's word. You might not believe this, by the way, but the purpose of God's law, the purpose of God's law was to make you happy. We only tend to view God's word as being what? Prohibitive, not freeing. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. So if I would say to you, give me three words that describe the law of God in Exodus. How would you describe it? Thou shalt not. That seems pretty prohibitive, right? Thou shalt not. And yet, if you look at the law of God, the thou shalt not is not prohibitive because God doesn't mean God. But they are prohibitive because God wants you to enjoy the life that is him. Thou shalt not commit adultery is not God being anti-sex. He's anything but that. But adultery has this destruction that can last for years, a lifetime, right? God is not anti-sex. He created it. It was his idea. So God's word isn't merely prohibitive. It is life-giving. 
God wants you to enjoy the life He died for you to enjoy. The psalmist so delights in it that he finds it more valuable than treasure, more tasteful than the finest of food. What are the things that you find delight in? I'll give you two examples. I have two because you might not attach to the first one. Um, does anybody in here like golfing? Okay, <laughs> I'll lose half of you on this one here. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. So anyway, there's uh, my, my brother and I, I got into golfing. We love to golf together. And um, we were both in ministry together at the time. And he told me, he's trying to finish his master's degree. He says, listen, I am so busy this week, I can't do it. I've canceled everything. I have to get this done by Friday. My last paper in, I can finish my master's degree. And I'll never forget, he calls me on Wednesday morning. He says, you won't believe the text I just got. I got invited to play at Pine Valley. Pine Valley's in South Jersey. It's one of the one or two top-ranked golf courses in the entire world. And it's not, it's not in a place like Collingswood or Cherry Hill or Mullica Hill or Pittman. No, it's in Clementon, right? If you're in Clementon, I'm sorry, but Clementon, right? Really the top, one of the top golf. And my brother, literally, he's calling his professors. He's calling it, yeah, I can't get this paper done, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's death in the family or whatever. He's trying because there's no way he's passing up on the opportunity to play at Pine Valley. Why? Because the things we delight in will, will move heaven and earth. Maybe for you it's food. So you guys have a really great bakery in town, McMillan's. I know there might be other ones. Sorry, McMillan's is the only one I know. So McMillan's has these like cream donuts. My wife loves cream donuts. And it's not like a, it's more cream than donut. It's like split in half there. So, and when we, when we, when we, get, we'll treat ourselves sometimes. And when we eat it, it's like, I don't like all the cream. And she goes, you're not going to waste that, right? And then when she heard that I was coming up to speak today, she came with me. She goes, we are stopping at McMillan's, right? So in the back of my car right now in a box, there are two cream donuts. I might see one, I might not, right? But the idea is like, when you delight in something, What? We're going to leave early. We're going to spend the money. We're going to basically savor and enjoy each delicious bite. That's the idea here. Happy is the person who takes the word and doesn't see it as being prohibitive or robbing or telling me how to live my life. No, this is how you enjoy life. This is how you enjoy life, by delighting in me and in my word. Meditate. Delight and meditate. Our lives are unbelievably distracted. We are experts, by the way, at multitasking, surfing, and skimming, but it is harder than ever to actually stop, think, and meditate. See, meditation in involves this careful, sustained thought. It takes work, and it involves the will. Meditation does done well, though, should serve to strengthen and sustain our delight. It allows the word of God to penetrate our minds and our hearts and our wills more deeply. See, meditation sends out roots deep down, right? Like a, a tree that's planted by, by water. It, it sends the roots down and it finds refreshment. Meditation always produces delight. Now, if you're like me, 
We typically want the delight part up front, but duty always precedes delight. That's why people, when it comes to actually reading God's word, why we give up so quickly, right? I'm reading it, what? <clears throat> it's not doing anything for me? I don't understand this. This seems kind of confusing. And so we kind of give up. Like, I tried it for a week, and I'll come back to it later. I know it's important, but whatever. No. We, see, in, in our lives, we want the payment up front. The delight. It's like going to university and them handing me the diploma. Here it is. Now go enjoy your last you know, four years. Doesn't matter. Here it is. No. Duty leads to delight. And by the way, just because duty precedes delight doesn't rob delight of what it's actually doing. It's not wrong. It's like this here. Um, I, when I started kind of my health journey, I got into juicing. Uh, there's a place by us that um, got a chance to get visit. And my first green juice with kale and broccoli and everything, I literally like got halfway down and I threw it away. Didn't tell my wife because like you don't throw things away. It was horrible. But I kept going back. And I kept going back and I kept going back. And I would not, not no lie. If she said to me on the way home going back down, down to Glass Grail, hey, you want to stop and get juice? I'm like, yeah, man, let's go. Well, how did that happen? Because why? Going back and, and having that duty and keeping, like, having myself to continue to drink and drink and drink now led to a delight. I actually enjoy what I'm taking in. Think about the opening question in the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of humanity? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why those two parts? We want the enjoying God forever part. I'm down for that. Why does it say up front to glorify God? Because sometimes glorifying God doesn't up front bring delight to us. No, both are important. In fact, one leads to the other. Duty will give birth to delight. And in our text it says, He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. In Jeremiah chapter 17, one of my favorite sections of Jeremiah, it says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious for the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Happiness in spite of heat. Being a follower of Christ does not remove heat from your life. Can you say amen? Because we right? heat's still there. But what this delight in who God is, meditating in his word, right? It produces in us like a tree. And even though it's hot out, even though it feels like there's a drought, its roots go down deep and it's able to make it out to the stream. That's the idea here that he's telling us in the text. That's the picture. That in spite of the heat, the tree will not cease from having life. And then he talks about the second way. The first one is the way of the word. And now he talks about the way of the world. In verses 4 to 6. The wicked are not so 
but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked of Psalm 1 here are those who seek to live life independent from God. Those who only have a human or earthly perspective about life. Those who live according to the world's standard or by their own standards, but not by God's. And they don't always reject the idea of Jesus, right? Like we shared before. Like the trainer I worked with, right? I love Jesus, but I just don't want a Jesus to tell me how to live my life, right? They love his goodness and his love and his compassion and grace, but they don't want to be, have a sovereign God tell me this is how I'm to think and live and move and breathe in my world. And he says this about the wicked. They are like chaff. And chaff was the covering of wheat. In Ruth, we have Boaz and Ruth, and there's this threshing floor when they're doing the time of harvesting, and they would take their up on a high area on a mountain, and they would lay out the, the wheat, and they would let it dry out in the sun, and they would hit it down a little bit, beat it up, then they would take it in these you know, large um, canvases, and they would toss it up in the air because they were on top of a mountain there. The breezes would catch the chaff, and it's like what looked to be like really firm and solid now, it's like it's gone. The wind blew it away. In other words, the, the, the world and the wicked they can sometimes look as if they have it all together, as if they are truly happy. I'll be honest with you. There's some times that I meet people in my world, and they seem a lot happier than I do. They seem to be more blessed than I am. You know, they seem to be having it kind of all together, and my life seems like nothing but heat sometimes, right? And it says this here, they are like chaff, and they will perish. Psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms in the entire Psalter. Asaph was a worship leader. He was a worship leader for David. And in Psalm 73, this is what Asaph says. He says, I, 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 took, I took stock of my life and I began to ask this question. Have I lived a life in vain? In other words, in my pursuit to live a, a pure life, living towards a holy God, was it all a waste of time? Why? I look at the world. Their bodies are lean and sleek. They have lives of ease. They have no pain. They have no wants. They seem to have no struggles. But I do. I'm following you, Lord, and my life feels messy and broken and hard. And the world just seems to kind of like, they're living out Pearl Williams' song, right? So happy. And it says in the middle of the text, there's always a turn in the Psalms, typically. He says, I consider that until I went into your house to do what? Worship. And as he's worshiping, what happens? There's this turn. He remembers their end, he says in the text. And then he moves from jealousy to pity. Why? Yes, they have all this common grace here from a gracious God. But apart from Christ, what is their end? 
death, destruction. And that's kind of what's happening here to me in, the, in, this, in this psalm here, right? Because the, the wicked, they seem up front as if <clears throat> they've discovered the path to happiness. I'm reminded of Mark chapter 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world only in the end to what? Forfeit his soul. The world will always appear, look like, and even feel like this is the way to true happiness. And it does seem to deliver up front. But in the end, it can only take, steal, and destroy. Proverbs 16. There is a way that appears right to be right, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And in the end, it will cost you everything. As we conclude our time together this morning, let's consider Aristotle and the psalmist. Aristotle pondered this. What is the chief end of humanity? A happiness that depends on you. The psalmist proposed this. What is the chief end of humanity? A holiness that depends on Christ. A holiness that leads to real happiness. Depends nothing on you. It is the full and free gift of Christ. And this is the hope of the gospel. The gospel doesn't leave you finding your meaning in you or your happiness in you because you never could. The gospel's flipped. Come to me. Find meaning. Find life. Find redemption. Remember in John, he says this, I, the thief, has come to kill and destroy. But why did Jesus come? I have come that you may have life and have it to its full. Consider these words from poet Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. May you lay hold of the blessing of Psalm 1 as you delight in the beauty and the value of taking the road less traveled, and walking in the way of the world. Deuteronomy 33 says this. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.